Welcome to the Serie A Show. everybody we are back it is another edition of the city show chloe nima how are you two doing uh not so good after fiorentina's performance i'll have to be honest <laughs> and, well i know Nima's doing better right yeah i know he is um, right now yeah everything what's happening right now is that it seems that the penny finally dropped in the maori Cardi brain um he he's on his way to paris to to join Paris Saint-Germain on a loan, uh, which we'll see him stay there. And he he's going to extend his contract with Inter for, with, for one year before going there. And at that point, uh, he, he's going to be loaned out to PSG, who are going to sign him next summer for 65 million euros, in total 70 million. So let's start there. There's a lot of great things we can talk about from this last match day. Certainly, the, these these first two match days in the city are probably some of the most entertaining, particularly when you discuss the big matches between the big clubs that we've seen in quite a long time. But unfortunately, the city finds themselves in a position not talking about the things on the pitch. Cagliari Inter, Nima, just because we'll we'll let you take the reins uh, with this one, just because it is your club. But how many times are we going to have to? be discussing these putrid, racist, embarrassing incidents that keep happening in the city. Because as I said, these first two match days were fantastic. And guess what? What are we talking about today? We're not talking about Napoli, Juve. We're not talking about Inter. We're not talking about the Derby in the capital. We're talking about another embarrassing, putrid, racist incident that happens once again uh, from a, a small faction of Cagliari supporters. No, it's it's um, it's 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 so draining and it's so infuriating because you know I want to make this absolutely clear. This isn't about Cagliari. This isn't a Cagliari problem. This is an Italian problem. This this is this is this this is a problem that Italian clubs have had for more than thirty years. Those of us, you know, John, you and I and Chloe, we're old enough to remember Zorro and Messina in the 90s, early 2000s, when he walked off the pitch because of the disgusting behavior by, uh, by some fans uh, against him. Um, so th- this, this, you know, this, is, this has been done by Juve fans, uh, Milan fans, where a group of then Comandantes Tigre were openly fascist, Lazio have their problems. But Roma have theirs. All clubs have some form, uh, not all, but almost all clubs in the in Italy have problems with 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 racism and, and this kind of behavior. And the reason why why nothing why it never gets better is because the city has on paper some really harsh uh, things that they can do, but they never 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 uh, apply them. They never apply these punishments, and it's always. You know, close the close one part of the stadium down for two, three matches, and then that's that. That's not how it works. You have to be able to identify the people who are doing this and ban them for life. It's just that simple. They all have to. Uh, they all have to. There has to be a coherent zero tolerance policy enacted from start to finish, from all the way up to from all from Serie A all the way to Lega Lega Pro, and that's something that the Serie A and the Lega culture have to do and. And and they haven't done that, and therefore there nobody takes them seriously because they just don't seem to care. I mean, they spent most of their time yesterday trying to remove 
trying to ban Twitter accounts for copyright violations for showing what ha what happened when Lukaku took the penalty, rather than putting out a statement that this is enough is enough. But because of the fact that these these videos went viral, and because of the fact that the Gar the Guardian or the BBC wrote about it, and the Guardian wrote about it, and all these other outlets wrote about it, and it became an international scandal, that's when stuff started happening in Italy. And it's it's just this classic Italian okie doke that I've always told you about. Sweep everything under the rug. Everything looks good, so it must be good. And on we go, and nothing changes. You're absolutely right. And Chloe, you could probably speak to this a lot better than anybody else. But listen, the city, we all complain about how the city times tends to be underappreciated. And we have these opportunities where, again, these first two match days are fantastic. And then, unfortunately, particularly on social media, Chloe, I mean, these are. These are the, the, the perceptions that many uh, foreign uh, fans have of the Serie A. They, they think it's racist. And, and those of us who watch the Serie A consistently and have done so for many years, it, it's so tough fighting these fires because it's like, listen, it's such a small faction, but it doesn't matter because these instances keep cropping up. Yeah, I, I think, and as well, um, you know, I completely agree with what Nima is saying is that the, there is a problem at almost all Italian clubs. But, I mean, Cagliari, I have to say, in the last few seasons, they have been the absolute worst. Um, and it is a small uh, number of people. They they are making a loud noise because it's very clearly audible on the videos. And, you know, we, we are trying to be English-speaking ambassadors for this league. And... You know, people are doing things that are not acceptable. They're not acceptable anywhere, but certainly for English-speaking audiences, they're like, you know, what is this? You know, it's completely unacceptable. And 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 we're left trying to, like John says, put out these fires and 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 say, you know, not everybody in Italy is like this. But you know, unless we're just we're just banging our head against the wall uh, over and over again because the league is doing nothing about it and Cagliari are kind of, you know, the club itself are kind of sweeping it under the carpet as well and distancing themselves from it. And, yeah, I'm sure there are Cagliari supporters that aren't racist and there are lots of people in the stadium that didn't join in, but there are those that did and they need to be rooted out and nothing has been done about it. And, and we're just saying, here we are again, saying the same things. Dean, the fact that um, there would be a player of a different skin color who is worried about coming to play in the Serie A because he is worried about potential racist acts is just beyond disgusting. It, it's It's so incredibly bad for the league and Nima you 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 hit the nail on the head in my opinion I mean where is the league at I mean come on you you, you can't just sit here and worry about uh, somebody putting out the video on Twitter because I saw that there were actually multiple accounts um, who were getting their videos flagged uh, for copyright infringement I mean for me I'm sitting here watching this thinking that's what you're worried about, really? In all unbelievable, of unbelievable, unbelievable. It, it's so infuriating that in the middle of all that, because I mean, this, 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 this went global. Everyone in the world saw this. Um, those who weren't, you know, and and the fact that I'm so, I want to give a massive shout out to Peter Drury, the commentator, for 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 
highlighting what happened, when it happened uh, in the in the international live feed, and 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 handling it with such ele- handling it with such elegance and class, and and saying, you know, so so it became so utterly clear for everyone who saw those clips on on social media, um, and and that you know that forced Cagliari to act today. Uh, and also when when Lukaku put out that statement, because I mean he handled it with such class. I mean last year when it was Moise Keane, they they tried this ridiculous you know um, back to, you know walking it back saying well he was provoking the fans, which is utter nonsense. Whether or not he was provoking the fans is completely irrelevant because you don't you, you don't do racist you don't you don't harass people racially. It's just that simple. Um, but even but you can't say that in this situation. He was just. He was. He looked a bit surprised and annoyed. He scored the goal and he looked at them with disgust, which everyone in the world would do. And he walked away and he and he handled it with such grace. And he put that statement out, saying that you know we keep talking about things being done over and over again, but nothing gets done in the end. And it's it's so tiresome because, look, if this were to happen in the Bundesliga, if this were to happen in the uh, in the Premier League. There would be repercussions. The clubs would immediately put out a statement. It wouldn't take 24 hours for any, for for a club to put out a statement. This would be within minutes of the game ending. This would be the 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 subject of talk on all the on all the post match shows in every media outlet. This would get attention. The FA, the the English FA, would immediately take action. Say they've opened an open an investigation into it. But in Italy, nothing happens unless the shit hits the fan big time. And that is what's so tiresome. That after the BBC did an article on it, and after the video had gone global and in an hour had been seen by five million people, that's when they start acting. And this this is this culture is just so exhausting. So as tough as it is, let's transition a little bit to what actually happened on the pitch. And as I predicted uh, a couple of episodes ago, I thought Cagliari is going to be an incredibly difficult out, particularly when they're playing at home for just about anybody. And Nima Inter were tested until the end. That was a incredibly difficult three points. Absolutely. Um, Cagliari played some really good football and um, it's very it's it's very surprising to see that they're on zero points after two games. Uh, they lost, I mean, they lost their first two home games now against Brescia and Inter. Brescia won. I still don't understand how they lost. But I, uh, this this is a good Cagliari team. They they should be able to to get back on track. Otherwise, I think Maran Maran's job will be on the line pretty quickly because this team is really, really good. Um, and uh, I mean, they, their midfield and their fullbacks. Is, I think Nandez was 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 fantastic. The 19-year-old Pellegrini uh, was was excellent. Um, no, and Nainggolan was actually was pretty good. No, they they have a really good team. Robin Olsen was actually pretty decent as well. But I mean, then again, he he he's he's, he's used to playing with a with a with with a defensive line that's pretty low. Uh, the defense deep, um, so this was more to what he was used to uh, than than playing with Di Francesco, where where he had to be like Manuel Neuer and look completely clueless. So um, no, the, the, you know, Cagliari are a good team. I think Giovanni Simeone is 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 going to score quite a bit uh, playing for them because he never stops running uh, and and he creates a lot of uh, 
space for other attackers for João Pedro. So as long as they don't play that Serie C, Serie C player Cherry anymore, I think they should be fine. Uh, with with Simeone and João Pedro, I think that definitely top ten. Yeah, Chloe, what did you make about Simeone joining Cagliari? Um, were you surprised that Fiorentina seemingly gave up on him so soon? It seemed like after just one poor season. Um, I think. In a lot of ways, it, it made sense for him to move. Um, you know, I, I hope that it's going to be just a, a dry loan, as they call it. I hope he's, you know, he doesn't end up signing for them. I hope, I hope he can come back because, I, you know, his first season at Fiorentina was excellent. He was determined. He was, you know, I think it was 12 goals that he scored in his first season. Um, but last season, um, mentally, he was drained and he didn't look um he was so frustrated with everything he couldn't just get the break that he needed and and I think he needed to move on loan just to uh get back scoring again and get his confidence back and you know I hope I hope that I hope that he can come back and I hope that uh, he um, can succeed at Calorie because you know he has got the potential to be a, a really good striker I think yeah, and if he does unleash that potential, unless I'm mistaken, I'm pretty sure they added a, a pretty, in my opinion, for the amount of talent that he has shown in the past, I, I believe they put in a 30 million euros release clause, which, my goodness, if he breaks out, I mean, that could be a steal for anybody. Um, Nima, getting back to the match real quick. Listen, when you have Antonio Conte, there's going to be certain areas of the pitch where you could just tell it's an Antonio Conte side. And Inter is midfield. Oh my gosh, Sensi was spectacular. I was so impressed with him. I, this, he's been fantastic all preseason, and he's continued that into this into the start of this season. Stefano Sensi just suits um, uh, more, uh, suits Antonio Conte's system so well, and it's so interesting to see from a tactical point of view. Um, this is the second game now. Both him and him and Brozovic, they share a lot of similar traits. They can both play in that deep-lying playmaker role. They both have a good shot on them. They both run, never stop running. Um, so so they, they can both play really well uh, as as both a deep-lying playmaker and as a mezzala. Um, so they alternate roles all the time. And that's really interesting because... That makes it really hard for the for the opposition midfield because then they have two players that can both handle playing in two different roles and they interchange so it becomes rather difficult who to who to mark and who to do who to stop and who to put pressure on. Um, so I think that those two together is 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 um, is, is is a strength for Conte to have. Um, and uh, and Sensi yesterday just showed his skill. I mean that roulette that Zidane roulette thing he did for the penalty. Uh, the clearest penalty you'll see all year. Uh, it was it was a gorgeous piece of skill, uh, and and the Cagliari defender just had no other choice than to bring him down. And 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 you know, no, I I, I got to say, I thought the referees handled it pretty well, to be honest. I, I think they got a lot of it on. I think the var the var was used properly for once, and um, and 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 I thought I thought I thought the game was was evenly balanced. And I saw Maran talking about that he didn't think it was a penalty after the game, which I think is really pathetic because just look at the look at the video. There's no doubt in anyone's mind who 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 knows. I mean, that's the clearest. If that's not a penalty, nothing is a penalty. That's the clearest thing I've seen all year. 
So no, I, the, the important thing was to win for Inter. The important thing was for Conte to to hit the ground running and go into this international break with a maximum points and give him time because after this international break, the season starts. It's the Champions League, it's the Derby, it's Juventus, you know, all this stuff. So it's um, the, the serious business starts soon. So speaking of Juve. Chloe, what in the world did you make of that display at the weekend? I mean, if you want to talk about a tale of two halves, my gosh, Juve looked like, at one point, honestly, they looked like they could have won that five or six goals to zero. I mean, it looked like they were absolutely going to embarrass Napoli. And then in the second half, I I don't even know, I I can't even properly explain that because Napoli really turned it on. Yeah, I think... um... It was funny because Nima and I were having a conversation on Twitter about it and saying, oh, you know, uh, maybe they'll waltz to the league after all, you know, because they were just, in that first half, they were just so, so good. Um, But it was a similar tale in their first match against Parma as well. They were really, really good in the first half and then they tailed off in the second half. And um, I think... I think really what happened is that Napoli demonstrated against Fiorentina that they're clearly good going forward and they they can score goals. So when Juve did drop off um, like they had done against Parma, Napoli punished them for it. And, um, you know, I think that when when you can see two goals in quick succession like that and, you know, you're three two up. It's it's almost inevitable somehow that the third goal seems to come because the momentum shifts so quickly onto the other team, um, and and I just felt so sorry for Koulibaly when he scored that own goal. I just my my heart just sank, and I was just like, oh, the poor guy, because you know that was it was just such an unfortunate thing to to happen to him um, to give Juve the win like that. Um, you know, my heart went out to him. It really did. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the, I, I thought, I think, as you both say, a tale of two halves. But above all, I thought, for me, the game was a perfect 90-minute condensation, breaking down of all, both of those teams, all their strengths and all their weaknesses. Um, with 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 Napoli, it's the midfield. Um um, it, it, <laughs> wonder if it was a mistake selling Diabara because now they only have Alan and Zielinski. I don't think is is play, can do well in that for in that two man um, in the hole there because he's he's too much of an attacking player and so Alan gets overrun um, and 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 there's no balance in that midfield. With uh, but however in the second half you saw what happens when 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 you have uh, when when Ancelotti made a few changes and they they get that midfield going when they can play through when they when, when they can play through their opponent's press then they're unstoppable. Uh, with Juventus the first half was the reason why I think they're going to win the Serie A. They're just unstoppable when they get that to work. The Sari the Sari football the high pressure uh, everything clicked and and. Uh, but in the second half, Chiellini was missed. And the fact that you, you Saribol's weaknesses, when it doesn't work, when the players don't follow it to a T, it's actually rather fragile. So I thought both of those, it, it, it was a perfect demonstration of what was wrong with both those teams. Um, uh, and, and it's a work in progress. I mean, if, if you, for Juventus, I mean, Sarri, he's, he's had pneumonia and all that. And once he gets back, he, you know, now he has two weeks to work with this team and really you know, get everything, the fundamentals into it. But 
we would be amiss if we didn't speak about Gonzalo Higuain. I mean, what a match. What a form this guy is in. They do not need Mauro Icardi. They have Gonzalo Higuain in peak form, in 2015 form, and then they don't need anyone else. When he's in this form, he's the best number nine in the world, bar none. And he's perfect for Saribo. And, I, Jesus, I mean, just think of it. Douglas Costa and Ronaldo, when, once they get those two into it, and now they're playing with a midfield trio with Pjanic in the Jorginho role, and then you have Matuidi and Kedira, who also looks completely rejuvenated. Now, Juve, Juve are good. They just need time to gel and understand Sarri more. And when they do, as I said on Twitter to you, Chloe, God save us all, because this team is already strong. If they can get that system to work, then there's no stopping them. Yeah, I suppose it was unfortunate for both sides that this fixture came so early in the season, because they both exposed each other's weaknesses. Um, whereas if they'd if they'd not played each other until later on, maybe other sides that they'd face wouldn't have done that the same. Um, I mean, I know Fiorentina sort of pushed Napoli all the way, but um, you know Napoli still in the end got the win, and it, it's probably a little bit soon, a, a bit like the Rome derby as well. It's probably a little bit soon for this kind of fixture before, as we've all discussed, the the transfer window shut. Yeah, so real quick, Nima, you you just brushed over this very quickly, but are are we are, are we sure that Giorgio Chiellini is not going to be a big 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 loss that maybe we're realizing right now? I mean, whether we like it or not, still in my opinion, part of the heart and soul of that Juve, we all saw and I think real quickly everybody was having a go at the Ligt. Come on. First start I, in the city. I mean, come I tweeted on. Out um, that, I tweeted out that it was the he he you know he was doing his best Jean Jesus impression, and it really well, was. I, I mean, <laughs> come, come on. I mean, first match in, in a in obviously a much better league than the Dutch one, filling the shoes of Chiellini. I mean, that was never going to be easy for him. But th- this insistence on especially social media, where we're looking for this instant <laughs> gratification, where he's either great or he's terrible. After one it's performance crazy. is absolutely hilarious. And nah, maybe come on, let's be honest. None of us actually think none of us think that he's a bad player. I mean he was it was just a bit of fun, wasn't it? He was he had an absolutely shocker of a game. And I think it's um, you know, it was it, he it was his first game, as you said, in the new league and in this league against this this Napoli side, who are one of the best teams in that league. It wasn't exactly an easy game, but he had a shocker. Let's be honest; it was a horrible, it was a nightmare performance. It was, it was, a, it was a Juan Jesus-like <laughs> performance. But it doesn't mean. But again, as you said, he's only 19 years old, and he proved last year that he's a great defender. Um, that he will be able to, you know, that that this this is just you know he just needs time to to grow. But having said that, you know, as I said, two weeks now where he can, you know. Sure, he's also away with Holland on the international break. But once Sari gets him back, he will have time to work uh, on on that on that training ground every day uh, to get that you know to get to get used to it. Uh, so I, I have no worries. We, we poke a bit of fun, but I don't think anyone really thinks that De Ligt is as bad as Juan Jesus. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, so Chloe, I mean, in your opinion, then how? How does this affect Juve in the long term? Are you confident enough that De Ligt can fill his shoes? Or do you feel that the absence of Chiellini could prove maybe a bit too much? I think that he is a bigger 
influence than people realise. I think that Juve rely on him massively. I mean, not only for his footballing ability, but for his intelligence, his tactical awareness, his ability to teach other players. And I think, um, you know, Delict probably struggled because since he's come back from Milan, especially, that Leonardo Bonucci is not really a leader, um, in my opinion. He he um, he's no Chiellini. He he's I you know I've seen it for myself that Chiellini was on the bench, um, away at Bologna, and and he was standing on the touchline, and it was um, Bonucci. And Rugani and Chiellini was having to tell them where to stand and and what to do. And I think you know if 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 Benucci needs Chiellini to help him to do that with Rugani, then he's gonna you know he's gonna miss out uh, of that guidance if he's if he's having to play just him and Delict. Um, so you know I think they are gonna have problems. I I kind of half expected them to try and bring someone in on the deadline. Um, doesn't look like that's going to happen now, um, and I think he will be a big miss, and especially against uh, teams in the Champions League, um, which is obviously where they want to do well. Going to the other side of this, then, um, in one of the first couple of episodes of this season, I said Koulibaly Manolas, in my opinion, could be one of the strongest pairings in all of Europe. Um, they've conceded. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but what I'm being reliably told, I believe four plus three is seven. <laughs> so seven goals conceded in their first two matches. Is this something that maybe we feel is an anomaly or do we feel maybe they're not as strong of a pairing as we initially thought? I actually tweeted about this. Um, I I think they're going to be good together. Obviously, they're, they're still settling in, but I actually feel that it's, it's the issues in midfield and the fact that, that he's going with a four four two. He's only got two two men in midfield, and um, I could recognise it immediately because I'd seen it last year with Fiorentina. That if you've got a poor midfield, it makes the central defenders look bad because nobody's protecting them, and they're having to go out and cover in positions where they're not supposed to be, and then they get exposed inevitably. And um, I think I think that's it with Napoli. I think you know. Um, Alan and Zielinski in the midfield are not providing enough defensive cover, especially as a lot of teams in Serie A play 4-3-3, so they're up against three midfielders. Um, so for me, for me, it's that I don't, I don't necessarily think they're playing poorly in themselves. For me, it's it's it's, it's as I mentioned before. I think it's the it's the issue it's it's the tactics that um as i mentioned in the juve game that they get overrun i think alan uh, zielinski doesn't you know they're supposed to play like a double pivot in this 4231 and zielinski can't do that properly uh it's it becomes alan alan is alone uh, when they were playing 433 under sarri alan uh, and you know he had Jorginho next to him. Uh, now uh, he had Jorginho behind him, and he had Ham- he had Hamshik a little bit further up ahead. But now now it's Alan alone, and and it's clear that it's the, the midfield is not balanced, and that's something that Ancelotti needs to address. And I'm starting to think that it was a uh, you know it was a huge mistake sending Diavara to 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 uh, to Roma. Uh, because I think that to get Diavara would have been absolutely perfect to play together with Alan if you want to play a 4-2-3-1. 
or a four three three. So um, I uh, I think they may have made you know they may have they may have made have, might have made the biggest mistake by letting him go. Maybe they should have just paid the cash for Manolas and and kept uh, Diavara because I think he would have been ideal in this in this midfield. Um, but but I mean again it depend it just shows that Napoli are are vulnerable in uh, in in midfield because you can over if you put pressure on them um, they get overrun and and you saw that with Juve. But then if they play through your first pressure, you're the one who's in trouble because Fabian Ruiz, uh, if it's uh, Lozano, Callejon, Insigne, and you have Zielinski, they, they can put you in, all, in, in a world of trouble. I couldn't, in my opinion, think of a better way to describe Roma and how they've performed in their first two matches. Roma, Lazio, they draw 1-1. An astonishing amount uh, of balls hitting the post. I believe it totaled six. It was either five or six. Uh, Lazio had three. Roma had two. Astonishing. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it before in my life. And a lot of these were coming within the first half hour of the match. I actually don't think Roma's defense is necessarily playing as bad as perhaps the scoreline or even the amount of chances suggest. I think this is... Listen, Roma, Paolo Fonseca playing a 4-2-3-1. In front of the defense, you're putting a pairing of Cristante and Lorenzo Pellegrini, neither of whom are, are midfielders who possess the defensive qualities or the work rate that perhaps you would like to see from a midfielder playing in front of the defense. They're playing in that Mediano role. And for me, after the international break, uh, if I don't see a Diavara and Veretu, I may go nuts because... Maybe you guys disagree, but I, I don't think the problems are actually the defense. I, I, I think it's a setup in the midfield. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. For the same reason that I gave about the Napoli game. I mean, I think Veretu and, and, and Diavara, I mean, Diavara is, it has the ability to play in that Mediano role, as you say. And Veretu has, has, is, it was the only midfielder that Fiorentina have, have had for the past two years. So, and so we know that he's good. So I, I don't get it. I mean, I like Cristante and I like Pellegrini, but they're, they're not the kind of midfielders that you put in a double pivot role in front of your, to protect your defense. They're, they're, they're the midfielders that you put if you're playing a 4-3-3 with a Jorginho or a Diavara behind them, um, or, or a De Rossi. So I, I completely agree. I, I don't understand what 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 Fonseca is trying to do, and I got to be honest, I'm a little bit worried here because I feel that it's his, it, it's been Fonseca's uh, decision making or lack or poor decision making that have cost Roma, well, definitely the win against Genoa uh, when he when he when he did when he for some reason started with with Juan Jesus, um, and 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 now again uh, against Lazio, so at least at least three points. Uh, have have uh, or two two three points have been disappeared by by Fonseca's lack of leadership in my opinion, uh, which I find a little bit worrying. Yeah, um, and, and Chloe, maybe maybe this is something you can add a bit to, but I feel like for again, I I, I brought this up on the previous episode, but for that fourth Champions League place, I, I feel like Lazio is not being talked about nearly enough as perhaps they deserve. Listen, this is a team where the bulk and the most important pieces have been together for a number of years. They have a good manager. They have a clear way of playing. They understand how to play with each other. And um, I think they've really improved, particularly in attack. Um, Their midfield, obviously strong. 
Chloe, I mean, do you think they should be deserving of more of the attention for that final Champions League place than they're they're getting? Or listen, this is a team that has gotten quite a bit of attention over the last few years. They they do real well. We've spoken on this podcast before about um, some of the trip ups that they have throughout the season. And then we have Inzaghi crying about said trip-ups or refereeing mistakes. We've talked about the moaning at length, but do you think that they're sort of going a bit under the radar in this case, or I should say for this season? Yeah, I do. Um, I think I think perhaps they're not as, maybe not quite as glamorous as some of the other teams who are going for the top four. They, they, they have a lot of players who... Um, are not sort of household names. Um, apart from, you know, obviously we know uh, Milinkovic Savic and Luis Alberto and and Immobile, but a lot a lot of the the other players are are not, should we say, as famous as some of the other squads who are competing for the top four. And um, maybe it will serve in their favour that nobody's paying them much attention. Um, maybe. Um, they're quite happy with that and they're just going to get on with what they're doing. And then, you know, come sort of December time, we'll suddenly say, oh, look at Lazio. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're doing better than we, we expected. Um, I just, there's, there's something about them that doesn't attract attention and I can't quite put my finger on what it is, really. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So shifting again uh, to the other matches throughout the week, we had Milan win while we also had Chloe Fiorentina lose. So let's start with your Fiorentina. We were talking before we recorded and you brought to my attention and it just hit me. Oh my gosh, you're right. Uh, Vincenzo Montella has still not won a match since he came back when venturing back into the previous season. So what do you make of this? Um, His actual last win as a manager was in March 2018 when Sevilla beat Manchester United at Old Trafford in the Champions League which oh, is wow. an incredible statistic, really. Um, but I think... Well, considering, yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm, being, I'm being told today is actually the 2nd of September of 2019. <laughs> yeah. So that is, a, that is a pretty daunting statistic. It, it is, really. I mean, um, look, the end of last season, the, the end of last season was a disaster. Um, you know, I, I don't blame Montella in any way for what happened when the team just fell apart last year. I mean, you know, uh, there was all sorts of things going on behind the scenes at the club and, you know, they were about to be taken over and all of that stuff. So really for me, you can wipe that slate clean and, and let let him start again at the beginning of this season. All I have to say is omini forti, destini forti, omini deboli, distinti deboli. <laughs> Hashtag Spalletti watch. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not a bad thing, Chloe. I know that the man is bonkers. Let's be, let's be completely clear about that. But I think that with this team and Comiso and, and this organization at Fiorentina, Spalletti could do a job and a half at Fiorentina. I promise you. I really, really believe that. Because he always gets players to yeah. raise themselves. Sure, he'll only be there for one or two seasons before he finds a way to argue with, a, with his own shadow and, <laughs> and piss Comiso off somehow. But, uh, but, but I honestly think that Spalletti is, is a good job, is a good, is a good shout for you. And I think he would suit, suit that 
I mean, that, that's the one job he hasn't had, which I think he really should have. Yeah, I mean, somebody pointed out that actually um, when Montella was around last time and they got four fourth place finishes in a row, that um, at, when he first came, obviously it was a similar situation. They had a really brand new team and he lost the first few games then and then went on to be really good. So um I have a higher opinion of Montella than some other people, I think, because um those those days when he was when he was around the first time were really fun times to watch Fiorentina. Um so I, I guess I'm giving him a bit more credit than some others might, but um I think that the obviously the transfer window is only just closing now and uh, against Genoa they didn't really have a full um, compliment to put out and it, you know I hate the rule that that says that the transfer window finishes after the season starts so I think obviously Fiorentina play Juve next which is like just the worst uh, turn of fate you could imagine for a manager trying to get his team going um but i i think he i think they owe it to montella to give him a little bit of time uh, just to see if by then he's still useless then fine i will say okay i hold my hands up he can go but um i think i, I think and i think Camiso will give him the benefit of the doubt just for a little while longer um and see if he can he can get the team but like nima says the pieces are all there he should be able to get them winning and if he doesn't then it's Spalletti it's, time know, it's going to be out <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on. Can we talk about maybe, maybe a topic just as depressing? Now, listen, Milan, they get their first win under Giampaolo. Bravo. Great work. However, he did uh, it again with his lineup. He starts Andre Silva, who 48 hours later is now on his way to the Bundesliga. I. <laughs> Giampaolo. Can somebody explain this guy to me? Can somebody come no, on? No, he, it's he's 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 way out of his depth. That's what that tells me. He it shows when a when a when a coach is this clueless this early on in the in the season after a after a three four months a honeymoon period at the club where he was basically, you know, declared to be a genius by everyone. This is very worrying for Milan. You know, it, it is never a good thing when a coach throws tactics and formations out the window the way he does and the way he you know Giampaolo you can, he's got a face you can always tell on his face if he's happy or not always on the sidelines <laughs> he looks scared he looks like a deer it was you know he's got you know caught in headlights kind of look on his face against the against the Udinese uh, against um, this weekend uh, against uh, against Brescia it, it did not look good at all and it, I wonder if if Mario Balotelli had been on the pitch Brescia could have won that not only drawn, but won that, and that's pretty bad. Uh, because, but but I mean, having said that, it the midfield, sure. If I mean, Sarri was a four-three-one-two guy as well. Then he became a four-three-three guy, and the rest is history. But I don't think Gianpaolo has that in him. I don't see that because if there's one thing Sarri has, it's stubbornness. Uh, the Gianpaolo just looks scared, and it's it doesn't bode well for Milan as, at all. Think about it. Game four is against this Inter, Conte's Inter. And Conte's Inter don't take their... Conte's teams don't take their foot off the gas. They could be completely destroyed in that game. If, 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 he, go, if he approaches that game with, with the same confusion and, and fear, Milan could be in all sorts of problems. 
Chloe, are you worried about him as well? Yeah, I th- I think he looked um, he looked tired and he looked he looked like he hadn't slept, like it, it was really worrying him. Um, and it, that that's really strange for the second game of the season to be that stressed about it, you know. Um, they they were marginally better, I thought, than they they were against Udinese, but not really very much better. Um, so yeah, it's it's worrying times at Milan. You 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 kind of wonder if they've gone for the wrong man. Yeah, it was really weird. I couldn't agree with you more. He looked extremely stressed about it, and guy, you just wanted to go give the guy a you know a, a tap on the shoulder, and be like, hey, relax. It's the second match day. There's there's thirty six more of these to go, my friend. Calm down. Yeah, so going throughout the rest of the league, we had Torino beat Atalanta 3-2. to two. We had Parma beat Udinese 3-1. to one. We had Verona beat Lecce 1-0. to zero. Oh, Eusebio Di Francesco. Uh, you, I don't all think, guys, you all laughed I don't, when I said yeah, that. Yeah, you can... know, I don't think he's going yeah. to be Panatone. Maybe, maybe you guys disagree. I, oh, forget the Panatone. I mean, he he may not last until Halloween. Mm. This is not good. They looked absolutely terrible. And it's hilarious that it's Berardi who was the guy that Di Francesco <laughs> tried for forever. But he just wished. I bet he just, at that moment when the third goal went in from Berardi, I bet he thought, I wished I'd just stayed put at Sassuolo. I was fine when I was at Sassuolo. <laughs> I mean, he was ready to give his left arm to bring him to Roma. Monchi, not a fan of him, didn't end didn't end up bringing him to Roma. Um, and now this, and guys, it's not even. Listen, we can have a go at Eusebio Di Francesco. It's a bit fun. Uh, we can laugh about him not getting to eat the panettone before before the holidays. It, it's not <laughs> even that he doesn't. Listen, he's easy to have you a go all at because of how me. much. You all left me. Yeah, when I listen, said, I, I have to tell you. I, I mean, yeah. this team, I mean, if we want to talk about a team that just does not fit his ideals, I mean, this team does not fit his idea of football, even remotely, not even but, close. And it's not just that. As I said, he's not the kind of manager to be able to steady a ship when things are unstable, as they are inevitably inevitably, when you change an ownership. And, I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that when, when if this ownership change, once it's completed, once it's fully completed, then they have to get rid of this man because... He, Eusebio Di Francesco has shown that he's way out of his league. He just, he's not, he's like an, he's like a poor man's Italian Zeman. He doesn't know how to organize a defense. He doesn't, you know, he just knows how to overflow with attack in a 4-3-3, which he religiously holds on to. And, and, and he needs to have an exact certain kind of players. And, and he does not have that at Sampdoria. You have to be flexible uh, at Sampdoria. And he's just not that guy. So uh, no, I, I I'm genuinely worried. I, if if they don't do something fast, they will get sucked into that relegation battle for without a shadow of a doubt. One hundred percent. I mean, he's playing Gaston Ramirez on the wing. I, I don't, for the life of me, cannot understand what is going through his mind. And and I, you know, when we talked about him, I said his inflexibility is his biggest downfall. Clearly, cannot continue. I mean, this just goes beyond, uh, you know. 
um, oh, we're missing a player in defense or, you know, we need a name in the midfield. And this goes beyond individuals. This is clearly a system issue. No, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I think it's, it's uh, I agree. And, and that's what I mean. I am worried about Sampdoria and I don't want Sampdoria to go out. So I hope they get rid of this man as soon as possible. I really do. And, and, and I don't, I think he jumped on that Sampdoria train way too soon. Um, you know, with Ferrero, you know, that, that's not a nice legacy to leave, uh, the club because I think he's done some great things for Sampdoria. Yeah. So as we're recording this, the transfer market in the city is about to end. So I was just curious to hear from each of you before we end here, who really stood out to you throughout the summer for having reinforced really properly. I know we talked about it in our preview episode, but that was obviously a couple of weeks ago. There has been some time. There have been some more additions throughout the landscape of the city. So has there been another club who has really jumped off the page to you that you think, wow, they've they've really improved themselves? Chloe, let's start with you. Um, I think Inter, really. I think um, they've really strengthened well. Um, they've, they've brought in some, you know, they've strengthened all over the pitch. Um, but not only that, it seems like they've managed to get rid of Icardi, which, you know, I know Nima will think is a huge, a huge weight lifted because, you know, he was a bit, he was a, a toxic person to be having, hanging around the club. And we already knew that Conte wasn't going to play him. So I think getting rid of him um, is, is, is just, just as beneficial to them than the players they've actually brought in. I couldn't agree more. I think La Regina del Mercato, the queen of the Mercato, as the Italians call it, is is without a shadow of it at Inter. Uh, Inter have done exactly what they needed to do, uh, and they've done it, and they've, they've gotten rid of all the players that they needed to get rid of. It was a complete clean-out. Everyone is out. And even though, they, you know, you know, Marotta gets, you know, fooled for being not being able to sell players, well, to be honest, he's going to be able to sell them because... Perisic is doing great at, at Bayern Munich for 25 million, 20, 20, 15, 20 million for, for Bayern Munich to get, a, to get a player that's ready to play, uh, you know, another two seasons is, is nothing. João Mario for 15 million for Lokomotiv Moscow, who, who can cement, you know, who, 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 who's already had a great start there and he, he's suited to that league. And he, these are good players. It's just, just that the Inter have struggled to offload them. And now Gabigol is being sold to Flamengo for 18 million plus a 25% uh, sell on um, for future sell on fee. Um, Icardi, if, if PSG, you know, next, next summer, uh, Cavani is going to the MLS and David Beckham's new uh, f- footballing venture in Miami. There's going to be a hole there, and and you know, and if Neymar doesn't leave, he's probably not going to leave in January. He'll probably leave in, he'll probably leave in next summer. So so they're definitely going to buy Icardi for sixty five million. So definitely he's 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 kind of he's he's resolved all these issues, um, and he's done it on his terms. He's got uh, and he's brought in exactly the players that Conte has wanted. Conte has no excuses whatsoever. It's 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 time for him to show to, to show why he's the highest paid manager in, in Europe and and I think it's um I think I think he'll do that um it, it's it's a very no for me it's it's hands down Inter but second place I'd put uh, Juventus I think Delicht Rabiot Ramsey all these players are are great uh, additions and I'd also like to add Roma uh, and Fiorentina to that. Uh, because I think in third place, because I think they've done exactly the revolution they needed to do 
um, Roma for sure. Uh, I just want to see if Fonseca is the guy who can can show that he 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 can handle this the way uh, that that everyone hopes to to that, that he can. Um, but other than that, no, I I'm, I'm uh, I, I I think all the teams in the Serie A have have really strengthened, and it's going to be so interesting to watch uh, this this Serie A season. And above all, see how they all do in 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 the Champions League, because uh, those you know if we look at the groups, Inter are in the most difficult group, but Juventus, Napoli, and Atalanta should and could go go through easily. I completely agree. You guys, I have nothing to add beyond that. Fiorentina, Inter, I liked how Milan reinforced, Roma, Juve. Really no complaints. No complaints at all. Uh, maybe I, I I would say Lecce. I would have hoped they perhaps could have done more. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I think everybody, particularly the first six to seven in the city, uh, reinforced really, really well. So um, that's where we will leave it. We will be back next week when or no we won't because it's an international break so we will be taking a week off and then we will return when the city hour returns so if uh if you can wait until then we look forward to chatting again soon so if you could continue rating liking leaving us a review we would really really appreciate it and we will talk to you next time bye-bye